Hey everyone and welcome to Mixcult. It's time to have some fun on your personal dub session here. Yes, it's Mixcult Records with Mr. Robert and his assistant. My name is Kirill Matuyev. As always, we are broadcasting from St. Petersburg, Russia, presenting new mixes from Mixcult Records, DJs and producers. Ibiza Global Radio. Well, congratulations, Robbie. Your dream comes true. It's just a great start of 2021. We decided to start a new sub-label called Believe in Records for those who believe in technologies, cosmos, UFO, outer space adventures. So. Robbie is a curator of his new project and Robbie, what is the first release? Oh, I think we have to talk to him. Let's call him right now. This is a special call that we make to introduce a new chapter in Mixcloud history. The spring 2020 lockdown let us sort a new artist with their releases and this is how we discovered Scape One and the man behind this project, Kurt Bergerly. Hello Kurt. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> it's good to meet you at uh, last. Yes, yes, and um, tell us a bit where you are from. Um, well, I'm on the south coast of England, so um, a small town called Bognor. Um, it's sort of in between Brighton and Portsmouth and about 60 miles south of London, so it's, it's quite nice. It's a bit quiet, but I like it that way, so it's pretty good. And I'm near the beach, so even in lockdown I can literally walk five minutes and I'm on the beach and I can just keep away from everybody, so that's good. How did you spend last COVID year? What have you been doing? Um, well, we've had a lockdown most of the time, so I've been at home. So um, spending time in the studio recording, um, doing shopping for my mom, um, just general things like that, really. Walking on the beach. So, but yeah, it's quite good. I mean, watching movies, the usual kind of thing. There's not much else you really can do. Uh, whereas music, obviously people already know my music, so I can just record and then a week later I can sell it, you know, sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's going good? You mean, you, know, you, you, sell, uh, you sell music well? Um, it has now. I mean, in the last sort of few years it started to pick up a lot more and the good thing is we've got Bandcamp now you know they, they saved my life in the last year basically um, uh, you know the fact that they actually pay people directly is pretty amazing really for the music industry as a whole um, and you can sell anything on there now can't you t-shirts vinyl everything and it's brilliant because you get paid straight away which is almost unheard of um, so yeah, it's great, and it's also a good chance for people to connect with their 
you know, fans can actually connect with the actual artists. I don't like to say fans, really, but... What gears do you use for production? Um, well, I've got two 808s, which isn't showing off. It's just that I brought my first one way back in 1985. 85? 85, yeah, when I was young. I got into electro quite early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then recently a friend of mine found a new one which was so brand new, I couldn't resist having it, so I ended up with two. And they do sound different because my original one, the serial number is something like 100. It's one of the very first ones they made. And it's um, got a very minimal sound to it. Whereas the new one, when he brought it round, it was one of the later models, so it was about two years later, and the kick was a lot lower, and the snare drum was a lot sort of snappier. So they actually do sound completely different. It might be due to the fact that I've really worn the old one out, and it just sounds different <laughs> because I've worn it out. But being analog, everything sounds different, doesn't it? You know, you can get, yeah, sure, you know. So apart from that, I had to write it all down what I use actually, because I don't use a door much. Um, I use MPCs, so I've got an old MPC 2000 XL which I use for my older kit. Um, I've recently upgraded to an MPC one for the newer kit, so I've got like sort of two studios. I've got one where um, the 808 would be triggered from the MPC by a Kenton Pro Solo, and then the 808 would then trigger like the Juno and the SH101. Um, create that older sound and that's the way I've always made music going back years and years and years. Um, the problem with that obviously is you're recording in a very live environment so when you record it that day you probably spend the whole day in the studio and you're knackered at the end of the day. <laughs> But you do come out with something special, but getting back into it, if people say, oh, could you like um, make the kick drum a bit louder or quieter? I'm like, it's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. So- it was, Yeah, so it was live. Yeah, it was live. I mean, I do record every, every sound individually as well, but obviously that takes a long time. And at the end of a lengthy studio um, time, you, you don't always wanna be spending another 10 minutes recording every tiny little bit so I've sort of modernized a little bit now while I'm in the process of so using a lot because there's so much new kit out nowadays it's hard to keep up um, but I've also got um, we've got Dave Smith I've got the Prophet 8 and the Mofo the Mofo is a lovely lovely kit I've got the keyboard version um, I've got the new Behringer TD3 which is basically a 303 again uh, Acid Labs Bomb Bass, that's really nice, that's a lovely, that's a 303 but with more control on it. So that's a lovely machine, it's really awesome. Um, and then new stuff from Korg and Arturia, got some of their kit recently as well, which is really nice. So I'm always expanding or replacing, but I don't like to have too many bits of kit at once because I find that you can overdo it you can end up with too many sounds. It's nice to keep it minimal, isn't it? Unless you're layering pads upon pads to get nice deep textures. Um, but I can get carried away some days and I think, right, okay, I need to strip that down. You probably do the same thing yourself. 
Okay, let's listen to your mix that includes some tracks of yours and get back in 10 minutes. And speaking about Bandcamp, this new vinyl release called Different Worlds, Same Stories is now open for pre-order on Believe in Records Bandcamp account as well as on Mixcard Bandcamp page. The official release date is 21st of January and now you can make your order with a special low price. The recording of the show you can find on Mix Card SoundCloud page, including tracklist. And please don't forget to check Mix Card on Facebook and SoundCloud to visit or visit our site mixcard.net.
are back to studio and my next question to you how long do you uh, does it take you to produce a track how how much time do you spend for this um it's a difficult one to ask if i'm doing it with the older kit um i can write a beat on the 808 in literally 10 minutes but then i can spend another 10 hours trying to get everything to layer on top of it um on average about two days yeah i do that that's what i said with the older kit i will make sure i finish that track that day and then i'll probably remix it again the next day because i haven't got a programming thing i can just change sounds so i can spend a few days and then i end up with various versions of it and then choose the best one or maybe i've got a few tracks that i can use from that with the newer stuff, obviously, you can save everything and go back to it. And I can spend the whole week, maybe even two weeks, just fine-tuning the track. Um, but that's the beauty of modern equipment. You can literally spend a whole day doing a track and then listen to it and think, oh, I've overdone it again. I'll go back, strip some things out, edit the time. Because uh, some tracks, you know, you think you're in the zone and you end up with like 12 minutes of music and you think, okay, it needs to be about four minutes or five minutes. So, yeah, it depends on which studio, which part of the studio I'm using, really. So anything from a day to a week would be my answer. Do you perform as a live actor or you mostly perform as a DJ? Um, basically, I used to like DJing a lot when it was the vinyl days. I found it a more sort of hands-on. Whereas um, nowadays, I, th I think DJing has become, I wouldn't like to say mundane. I think it's, it's, it's horses for courses, as they say over here. It's uh, all about the mixing. So everything's got to be, the BPMs have got to be right, which I do understand that, especially in a club environment. But I find that a DJ will only play electro or only play techno. And when you listen to it at home, especially, it can sound a bit boring. Everything's the same. And I like a bit of variety. If I do a mix, I normally spend the, heart, the first half playing all sorts of tracks, slow, fast, old, new. And then I do the last half hour of just straight mixing so that everyone's pleased with it. Um, so as far as live's concerned, getting back to what we were saying before, um, yes, yeah, so you could do gigs, you've got to take a, probably a small mixer, a drum machine, a couple of synths, um, and some kind of control for everything. So a live setup like that is great, but obviously you're carrying a lot of kit around with you. So it can be quite difficult, but I think live is where it's at. For me personally, I think it's the way that you can actually, because electronic music isn't actually live, but it is, I can see your cat in the background. <laughs> I just had the same problem. Um, I think um, live music, electronic music, if it's live, um, the only way you can really express that is with having a synthesizer actually twiddle the knobs and turn things and bring things in and out and that's when electronic music really comes out and, and people can see what you're doing As 
opposed to, like you said earlier, if it's just a laptop and you're clicking. You're probably doing that thing, but you're doing it with one finger on a mouse. So the audience might as well go off and do their own thing, really, <laughs> and leave you to it sort of thing. So um, I prefer live, personally, um, but I do understand, you know, the DJ is still probably the most important part of the industry because that's how a lot of people get to hear this music. But I think, this, this, you know, 20 years ago, DJs were everything and everyone was looking at DJs. And I think in the last few years, especially with all of this new kit that Behringer are bringing out and Korg, I think live setups have become becoming more the norm now in every genre of electronic music. It used to be just electro. Everyone was like trying to show off. Oh, look, I've got an 808, you know. And that was kind of in the techno in the house scenes. That wasn't so prominent at that time. So, uh, but recently, everyone, you know, you go on YouTube and you see some amazing videos. Lots of new young artists with all their kit out on the table, linked up, and it's amazing what they're doing with it. It's really exciting, and it's. You know, for someone who's been listening for this kind of music for 40 years nearly, um, it's great to see that it's still alive. I never knew that this kind of music would still be that popular today, but now it's bigger than ever. You know, I think it's down to the fact that in the late 70s, after punk especially, you had the synth scene, the disco scene, um, obviously punk and early hip hop. There was no internet, so half of those um, scenes uh, didn't communicate with each other. And I still notice today, because I, I obviously, when I look back to me, I mean, even within hip hop, I mean, there was a scene in Miami and a scene in New York and a scene in Los Angeles that were doing early electro hip hop music, but they weren't communicating with each other. Not much, anyway. I didn't see that connection. Yeah, in, in England, we had the Electro series and we all uh, thought it was all one thing. We didn't realize there was Miami bass and techno hop from LA and hip hop from New York. We just put it all under one bracket. You know, we heard things like Cybertron. We thought it was all Electro Funk. We didn't realize that that was the birth of Detroit techno at that time. Actually, I, I think UK was kind of a melting pot for a lot of styles, yeah. Um, yeah. Mixed, it mixed. You didn't think about differences between scenes back in the days. I mean, nineties, the early nineties, the end of eighties. You just mixed it. Yeah, that's right. It was much more healthier. I mean, electro music back then could be a hundred beat per minute, or it could be a hundred and thirty, you know, or even slower than that. So. Um, and there was, I mean, now a lot of it, especially the synth pop music, you know, like Ultravox, Human League, that's the kind of music I first got into. And some people called it electro, some people called it synth pop, or minimal wave, or whatever they call it nowadays. Um, but to me, that was like proper electro at the time. And then, of course, Planet Rock happened, and that was a catalyst for everything else that sort of came after that. I think once the um, scene from Detroit and Chicago really hit the UK around 86, 
and I think it was some UK journalists that were actually naming it Techno and House. Maybe not Techno, but I'm sure they called it. I can't remember now. But yeah, there was there was um, some journalists came back to the UK and said, "Like this is the latest thing," and everyone just exploded, you know. And then Acid House happened, and then it all changed overnight. And the the sad thing about that was the bands that. I admired like John Fox and Tick and Talk and all these early synth bands. They kind of got forgotten about a little bit, and everything was about the rave scene and techno, which was good fun. But it um, they were standing on the shoulders of these other people that were kind of getting ignored. But the good thing was around the year 2000, um, you had the electro clash scene came out of New York at the time and they were just starting to merge a lot more 80s music of all genres New Wave yeah so like Fisher Spooner and bands like that and I thought oh good you know it's starting to come back again a lot of people didn't like Electro Clash at the time but maybe they were closed minded I don't know and a lot of it was um, you know aimed at the mainstream dance scene which wasn't so good for me anyway like a few years ago, like 10 years ago, the word electro was something different. It was more to do with house music, wasn't it? <laughs> For some reason, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Because in the 90s, um, in the UK especially, it was, it was either drum and bass or very hard, like Gabba techno, which to me personally, I just was not interested in half of that at all. I didn't mind some drum and bass. Um, but luckily there was, you obviously had Doppler Effect and Orcs 88 and these bands, Anthony Rother, they were keeping like proper electro and techno alive. And so that got me back into it really, because at that time I just thought, oh well, it's just a hobby, something I do in my bedroom. Um, but I teamed up with um, some local guys, uh, there was Transparent Sounds and Rob Euro in Brighton. and. We were sort of collaborating again, getting our machines out. So by the time the year 2000 arrived, the electro scene was really back. But this time it was called electro properly. Um, because the only reason things like Egyptian Lover and Planet Rock were called electro back in the 80s was because no one knew what to call it. But if you actually speak to some of those old school guys, they, they thought they were making hip hop. They didn't use the term electro much. And that was, because um, I actually spoke to Egyptian Lover and he said, no, we, we just called it old school hip hop. The term electro was something that we introduced to them. They didn't even know that they were making electro music. And so we came along and went, oh no, you're making electro. Are we? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, it all boils down to, there was a, do you remember the Street Sounds albums in the 80s? They were a big thing in the UK. If you want to check out the roots of electro funk, shall we say, just go to Street Sounds Electro numbers 1, 2, sort of 7 or 8, and you'll hear everything that came out, mainly American. Um, but it's a great time, it's a great time for music, very exciting. Um, but because we labelled those series Electro, that's the name that stuck. But half of the records on those albums were actually hip-hop artists just using drum machines. 
So it was kind of like electro hip hop in a way. And that's what they called the albums later on. They had to change the name of the albums to electro hip hop. So, but obviously a few hardcore fans like myself, we stuck, we hung on to the name electro. And by the year 2000, everyone, that was the, sort of the start of the internet as well. So everyone was connecting up in all these different cities all over the world. Um, and that's when I sort of reached out and sent demos to all these labels that were starting up and kind of like the time I started, you know, getting stuff out on vinyl. It was around that time. Um, there was World Electric in Germany, really good label. And they'd started in the 90s, you know, producing electro and techno sort of hybrid tracks. Uh, but they were one of the first labels to bring out um, electro, the modern version of electro. So it was good to be associated with labels like that. I beat the global radio. Music sounds better with us.
uh, but Electro got just pushed aside <laughs> and everyone was left standing thinking, what do we do with these drum machines, you know? And I think that's probably why um, Techno and Acid House sort of took the place of Electro. Because, you know, it's almost like hip-hop said, no, we don't do that sort of music anymore. And people like me were thinking, yeah, but I like electronic music. I don't want to listen to sample breaks all day. You know, as much as I love sample breaks, and I love breaks, you know, in the history of breakbeats. Yeah, because I, I, I love bands like Tangerine Dream and Brian Eno, you know, and... I was growing up I, I, it was all electronic music to me at that time you know you didn't put labels on it so much I think the labels have been put on today and I think I think that um, in a way it's good I think it's good for the listeners and for the people who are searching for music but I think if you've been listening to music for a long time and you hear a DJ mix and it is just all the same tempo and the same bit of music it's good it's good but I like a little bit more variety <laughs> do you know what I mean I like to hear I like to hear eclectic mixes that's what my favorite style of DJing is the funny thing is when I first heard um, Boards of Canada I didn't get it and someone said to me you will you'll get it it will suddenly and I, I did yeah, it took me about a couple of months and then one day I just, I think I'd been listening to it on my headphones and then I hadn't listened to it for a while and then I heard one of the tracks again and I was like, oh my God, this music is amazing. How come I didn't realise at the time? And it's just so clever. I mean, apparently they just started off doing parties in Scotland with like reel-to-reels and just found sound. Um, so yeah, what they were doing is very similar to what The Art of Noise were doing probably about eight years earlier, or no, even longer than that, actually, about 15 years. I think in the 90s, there was the electro, that's when electronic music became really underground, especially in the UK, because main, it was very uh, about the superstar DJ in the UK at the time, which I really didn't like it. The, the main DJ scene in the UK, I, I thought it was a bit blown out of proportion. So I was really listening to a lot of the underground artists because that's when I, I think modern electro, as we know it today, started in the 90s, definitely. Even though you can hark back to the 70s for some of the sounds, I think the actual scene that we're still part of started in the 90s. And the kids that were listening to it in the 80s went out and bought a kit and started doing their own gigs that's and they're still doing it today a lot of people and I'm part of that generation so are you probably yeah so um, that's what I like to do and sometimes if I do have a break from music it isn't actually to get away from music I'll probably study music listening to music um, or I discover a new artist, like you say, and then you've got to go on Discogs and think, oh no, they've got like hundreds of releases, how long is this going to take? And you can spend a whole week just listening to one artist, you know. Yeah, and especially now when you go on SoundCloud and it's just like hundreds of people. And I think it's Behringer's fault. I think Behringer are trying to take over the planet. They're basically, they've grabbed the 1970s and the 1980s and they said like we're gonna do it again <laughs> and they have and the thing is they must be selling this kit to somebody 
like them to make it so cheap because when you've worked in engineering if you design something build it put it in a box test it that costs a lot of money research and development so if you're going to sell something for a few hundred quid you're going to have to shift a lot of them which means there's not a few thousand people buying these synthesizers there must be millions of people buying it why? And what are they doing? Is it a secret revolution that's going to take over the world? I think so. I think there's a there's probably some 18-year-old kids out there right now with a couple of little analog boxes and they're going to be that's the future. That's what we have to keep an eye on. And that's what's exciting about it. You know, I'd like to see some bands Similar to say the Human League, you know, Ultravox, I'd like to see some more of that. And I'm sure there is plenty of it out there. It's just you've got to really search for it these days. Radio One are not going to play it on the radio. <laughs> They're too busy playing all the mundane music. So I think the future is bright for electronic music. I think it's just going to become bigger and bigger. And there'll be, you know, once lockdown's finished, hopefully there'll be more dedicated um, avenues for these new bands to come out and take over the world. <laughs> well, unfortunately the time is up and we are finishing this show. Thank you Kurt for your interview and your music. Thank you. Yeah, nice speaking to you. Bye. Well, you've been listening to Mixcloud with Kirill Matviev and Mr. Robert, the curator of a new label Believe in Records. And the first release is open for pre-order on Mixcloud Bandcamp and uh, Believe in Records Bandcamp page. We will meet you again next week at the same time with new dubs from residents of Mixcloud Records. More info you can find on Mixcloud.net or in our social networks. Stay safe, feel well, call your friends and family and take care. I beat the global radio. Music sounds better with us.